All right. What's up, Eden Church? It's so good to be here with you. It doesn't even feel like 9.30. It feels like it's 11 o'clock. We got some energy in the room, and we're grateful for that. Uh, my name is Daniel. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, would love to get a chance to connect after service. I'll be at the Connect Center right out the back doors. Um, but today is an exciting day, and uh, we are so grateful that you're in the house. If this is your first time a part of the conversation this morning, I want to extend a special welcome to you, and then obviously a welcome to all of our people who are tuning in online. We are so grateful that you can stay connected wherever you are. And, uh, and today I do want to take a moment just to acknowledge the significance of today. 21 years ago, there was a national tragedy where thousands of people lost their lives, and we never want to forget the impact that that had on our country, because someone told me a long time ago that if you don't choose to remember, then you'll forget, and we don't want to forget, forget what it costs to have freedom in this country, to worship freely like we do. So we remember, uh, but today is also a day of celebration for us, because we have officially launched two services, and I want to take a moment to say thank you, to say thank you to those of you who have been serving week after week and month after month and year after year, serving and sacrificing on behalf of this community. And I feel so grateful that we are part of a church that is constantly willing to do whatever it takes to keep creating more space for more people to connect with God. And you all have played a huge part in that. So can we show you some love this morning? And I also want to extend uh, an opportunity, an invitation for those of you who would call Eden Church home there are so many opportunities to get involved in this community, and the reality is that there is a need, and what we have realized is that we don't experience the full potential of this community when uh, there are people who have, been, who have yet to unleash their gifts and their passions and their wiring uh, into what God is doing uh, at this church, and so uh, there's a little yellow card in the program. If you would take a moment to look at that, you can jump in, give us your information, maybe sign up to join a team, someone from our team will make sure to reach out to you this week. Now, today we are launching a brand new series called Healthy Relationships, and we recognize that this is not a particularly fancy title. I'm not sure it grabbed anyone's attention, but we've just decided in this season we're just going to call things what they are, right? So last series, we just called it Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, calling it the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to be talking about relationships, and I imagine that depending on some of your background, some of you may be asking the question, why are we talking about relationships at church? Aren't there more important topics to discuss regarding our own spiritual development? And the answer is, I don't think so. <laughs> because how we relate to other people matters so much to God. Let me give you a few examples in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if it is possible, like whatever it takes, live at peace with everyone. It's a pretty high calling. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 says, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And then the thing that puts the nail in the coffin in this, uh, on my perspective, is uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 31. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So I'm going to say it again for all the people in the back. The way that you relate to other people matters to God. Your relationships in this life matter to God. And guess what? If they matter to God, I guarantee you they matter to you. And I imagine we can do sort of a silent poll this morning. Don't raise your hand. 
But I imagine that there are some of us in the room today that wish that we had a healthier relationship with our parents. I imagine that there are probably some of you in the room today that long for a better friendship with your siblings, or maybe you have prayed for a deeper connection with your spouse, or you have desired to have a closer bond with your children, or have had, desired to have a group of friends that knew you and loved you. All of us long for healthy relationships, and my hope is that by the end of this series, we would have a few more tools to help us to become the type of people who can foster healthy relationships in our life. And so today we're going to kick off the series and I want to talk about the transformational nature of community. In other words, I want to talk about how the right group of people can change your life. And I think that this is a really relevant conversation for us this morning because we are living in a generation where people are struggling to find community. Did you know that over the last 13 years, in parallel with the rise of social media, the number of people who have self-identified as lonely or being lonely has skyrocketed. And this kind of used to be an interesting statistic because we assumed that the more connections you had, regardless if they were digital connections, we assumed that the more connections you had, then the less people would identify as being lonely anymore. But we all know that's fake news, okay? Because what we have learned is that being connected is not the same as having community. The other problem that you have is that you live in the Bay Area, okay? You know what I'm talking about. We are all different kinds of people, and sometimes it is harder for us to find out what connects us than what divides us, and we also live in a transient area, and so some of you who are here know that you're not going to be here forever, and you may wrestle with the thought, why should I even begin investing in relationships? And others of you are, know that you're rooted in this area, but you already have your group of friends that you like hanging around with. And you ask, you say, well, I'm not going to spend time investing in people who I think are probably going to leave the area anyways. And then there are others of you that if we're being real honest, the reason that you have lacked community is because you've experienced pain in the past. And some of you today have shown up into this room hesitantly because you see community as the place that you would go if you wanted to be wounded by people who were supposed to love you. There are some of you who might even respond to this idea and say, well, I already have community. But the reality is that you don't have community. You have a group of friends that you hang out with. But the truth is, is that the type of community that God wants you to experience is more than that. It is a set of intentional relationships where you are known and loved and inspired to follow Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at the first community that Jesus developed, and they are going to serve as a really helpful example of how the right people in your life can change you for good. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, and they were throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets, and at once they followed him. And a little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. And Jesus reached out to them. It was just an invitation. He said, come and follow me. In other words, he was saying, come and be my disciple, which wouldn't have 
been the strangest conversation because Galilee at the time was this hotbed of discipleship. This is where you would go if you wanted to be mentored by a religious leader. And notice that Jesus doesn't just call one person, but he calls several people. He says, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, come and follow me. And they ended up not just being disciples of Jesus, but they became apostles. They were part of Jesus' inner 12 leaders who he personally mentored throughout a course of seven years, several years. And, and out of the group of the 12, these four would have been known as the church kids because Galilee was that place that you raised traditional Jewish kids who followed the Torah, and they were probably raised in a traditional Jewish home. But we see along in other gospel accounts that Jesus didn't just call the religious. Look at Matthew chapter 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him. And so Matthew got up and he followed him. Says the same thing to Matthew. Come and follow me. But the problem is that Matthew was a tax collector. And all of his friends were tax collectors. And in the first century, Jews hated tax collectors. Because tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government but extorted money from their own Jewish friends. We see that the diversity of Jesus' group is growing. Then we see in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we're introduced to the rest of the crew. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, it was Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, this is an interesting list, and it may seem like we are not given a lot of details, but there is something interesting to note about the 12 people who were just described in Matthew chapter 10. Only two of them were given special descriptions. The first was Judas of Iscariot, and if you've ever been to an Easter service, you probably know a little bit about him. He was the guy that betrayed Jesus. And then we are given a little bit of a description of a guy named Simon who was called a zealot, and we almost know nothing about him. He's almost not mentioned in any other part of the scripture, but this is what we know about zealots. They were a violent sect of Jewish people who used guerrilla warfare to fight against the Roman government. They were called Zakaria in Hebrew, and this phrase means men of daggers or dagger men, and they would hide these daggers in their cloaks, sneak up to Roman officials, slit their throat, and slip back away into the crowd. Kind of interesting, right? That this was the community that Jesus began to form. And it's kind of interesting to think about Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot in the same Bible study. Can you imagine all the awkward political conversations that they would have? And it wasn't just being awkward politically, but there were personality clashes. Peter was a type A outspoken person. He was the type of person that oftentimes spoke before he thought. Then you had Thomas, who was this introspective blogger. Then you had James and John, who were called sons of thunder, which meant that they were fiery, they were angry, they were quick-tempered. This was not a compliment. And then you had Judas, who was cold and analytical and hungry for money. And for some reason, Jesus brought all of these diverging personalities together. 
And you might wonder why. Like why, Jesus, out of everyone that was available, why would you have brought this group together? Certainly, there were more educated people that you could have found. Certainly, there were more influential leaders. There were more socially intelligent individuals. There were more uh, spiritually mature people. At the very least, Jesus could have brought together people who were even moderately connected to some sort of value system. But he didn't. And I love that. Because I think Jesus didn't set us up with any unrealistic expectations of what real community looks like. And I think maybe what is so powerful about highlighting some of the shortcomings of this group is that we recognize, we can recognize how much they transformed in light of their relationship. And this is how we know they became different people. Because as we read about the early church in the New Testament, we begin to see that this same group of leaders formed and produced a culture of people that was so different from who they were when they started. Here are some of the values that they helped to shape. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. Who said that? That was Peter, the same guy that acted like he didn't know Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. Hebrews 10, chapter, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir, one up, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting uh, to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. They're talking about wanting to be with one another and encouraging one another. Then we see Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What these passages tell us is that even goofed up, misaligned, spiritually immature, socially awkward people, when following Jesus together, can change. And instead of being quick-tempered, they became patient with one another. Instead of competing against each other, they encouraged one another. Instead of being divisive, they were united. Instead of being fearful, they became joyful. And this is a picture of the transformational nature of community. And it happens in a few ways. Number one, if you've ever been in community, you know that community exposes you. That's just how it works. When you hang out around people long enough, they will see your flaws. And I think that there are probably a lot of people who don't want to find community because they don't want people to find out that their life is not as perfect as they make it seem on social media. People don't engage in community because they're not as happy as they act like they are at church. People don't engage in community, community because they don't want people to find out that they're not as nice as you think they are. Honestly, that's one of my fears, okay? I realize that at some point, I am going to let everybody down, and sometimes that keeps me up at night. And this is the problem. If you work in kids' ministry, you know all the dirty secrets of all the parents in the room, okay? Because they have this sneaky little thing that they do in kids' ministry. It's called prayer time. And that's when our kids tell everything that has happened in our house. We had to talk to them. We said, boys, sometimes mommy and daddy have disagreements. That's okay, okay? You don't, you don't need to tell everybody in the kids' ministry. 
but they haven't stopped. So it's good accountability. But that's just what happens, right? In community, you are exposed. And that is so important and it is so healthy because so much of what we struggle with that we want to hide from everyone else is also hidden from us. As much as you want to hide it from other people, most of the pro time the problem is hidden, uh, hidden to yourself. And until you are in community, you will never recognize fully the gaps that you have in your life. This is the benefit of marriage, okay? Marriage will help you to see what you cannot see on your own. I thought I was a nice guy before I got married. <laughs> then I realized that I was really selfish. But community will expose you, and that's a scary thing. But the second thing about community is that it will heal you. The reason some of you don't want to be in community is because facing those realities are too painful. But I'm going to tell you something right now that you don't want to hear. The only way to experience healing from relational wounds is in relationship. And the reality is that people who never step back into community after being hurt never fully heal from the past. And in a few weeks, we're going to be starting up our fall semester of groups. And every semester, we see healing taking place in people's life. People who said, I will never join a church join a church, and then they say, I will never join a group, and then they will join a group, and then they'll say, I'll never tell these people about what is really happening in my life, and then somewhere along the course of the semester, they start trusting people, and they notice that what these people do with their deepest, darkest secrets is not use it as a weapon to hurt them, but they use it as an opportunity to step in to the pain with them. People who start off as strangers eventually become family. People who show up in the hardest moments of life. People who help you to follow Jesus when you don't want to. People who encourage you when there is no one else. You have to give groups a chance because that is where healing happens. Community can heal you. But community also changes you. Kayla and I tell people that we have been happily married for 12 years, but we have been actually married for 13 years. Actually, I say that a lot. She doesn't. But I remember in the first year of our marriage, it was a struggle. I felt like we were arguing all the time. Most of the time, our most frustrating and challenging arguments happened on the way to church. And oftentimes, it was a struggle to find a resolution to the conflicts that we were facing. And I remember around that time, I had heard a quote from Ruth Graham, who was the wife of Billy Graham. And she was being interviewed one day, and she was asked if she and Billy had ever considered divorce. She said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> That's where I think we were at in our first year of marriage. And then I remember we decided to join a group at the church that we were attending at the time, and they were all young couples who were in the same season of life that we were in. They were all struggling with the same struggles that we were struggling with, but they loved Jesus. And all of a sudden, those things that we thought we couldn't overcome in isolation, we started finding hope in, in the midst of community. We started sharing these common struggles and the things that we used to cry about were now things that we could laugh about because we realized that we were not alone in the struggle. And this community changed 
our marriage because they knew our flaws and they still loved us and they kept pointing us to Jesus when we didn't want to do it ourselves. And today we are still friends with the same group of people 13 years later. And we're still texting each other. We still vacation with one another. Our kids now fight with each other, and it's amazing. (laughs) We're at a new level of awkwardness when the kids get involved. And I'm not saying that it always works out that way, but what I am saying is that you have got to give it a try. Because if you are trying to follow Jesus in isolation, you will learn that it doesn't work. And it has nothing to do with your strength. It has nothing to do with your character or your wisdom or your capacity. But it has everything to do with your wiring. It wasn't meant to work this way. Your faith was not meant to be formed in isolation from community. And I can't promise you that you won't get your feelings hurt here at Eden. We can't promise you that making community will be easy, but I can promise you that if you never try, you will always miss out on relationships that God may be forming in your life to change who you are. That is the promise and the power of the right community is that it changes you. And it's more than just making you better. It's more than just improving your friendships or your marriage or your parenting skills, but it has the power to literally transform your life from the inside out. And some of us are reflecting on some of the important relationships that we have in life. But as you've stepped into this room, there are some of you that have still not made the decision to form the most important relationship in your life And that is the relationship that you have with God. I imagine that there are some of you that have stepped into this room, that as you've come into this place, you recognize that for whatever reason, you have felt distant from God. For whatever reason, there is a dryness. There is a lack of excitement. It doesn't feel like an adventure of faith. It feels like you are just living in the shadow of a spiritual experience that was once true about your life. And I think God may be inviting you back in to a healthy relationship with himself. And this is the reality. Until you are right with God, you can't really be right with anyone else. Because every single one of us was born with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And until he feels it, we will never be satisfied. We will never undo the bad experiences that we've walked into relationships with. We will never find the type of peace that we're looking for. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to step into a healthy relationship, the one that matters most in your life. And it's not about anything you do or what you know. It is whether or not it is a reflection of the desires of your heart to be back in relationship with your creator. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray this simple prayer after me in your hearts. And again, it's nothing special about the words, but it's a reflection of the desire of your heart. And so right now, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And today, if you want to step into faith for the very first time, you can repeat this prayer after me in your heart. Dear God, I know that you love me. 
And I believe that you love me enough to send your son to die on the cross for my sins. And the Bible says that when I believe, you promise to make me whole and clean again. And this morning, I need to be washed clean by the blood of your sacrifice. Today, I receive the gift of salvation. And I want to step out of the old life and into the new. And I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. I want to ask those of you who pray that prayer in your heart to take another step of faith. And on the count of three, I'm going to just ask you to raise your hand because there is something so powerful when we respond physically to what God is doing spiritually in our hearts. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God loves you so much. Two, you didn't end up here by accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning if you prayed that prayer in your heart. I see you, I see you. If you're tuning in online, I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, to go ahead and let them know in the chat section. We have a host team that will respond and give you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. Father, this morning, we thank you for the work that you want to do in this community and for the life, the lives that you are forming and shaping. And there is so much more that you want for these people than what happens here in the hour-long service that we host every Sunday. There's more that you can reveal in relationships. And I pray that every person here today would take the bold step of trusting that you have more for them in community. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you do me a favor this morning and celebrate every life that stepped into faith for the very first time?